Well, I don't know if you're getting tired of the vineyard yet or not, but it seems like the labor force out there must be a bit thin. And Jesus keeps coming back to this theme of who is working in the vineyard and who is not. And we're not done yet, I give you fair warning. But I tell you now today, with the authority of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that whether you think you've said yes to going out or no, God has come and not only changed your mind, but changed your heart and your whole life. For there is no change greater than death and resurrection. And that is exactly what you receive when Jesus forgives your sins, when you are baptized, when you have this promise. And you are forgiven in the name of the one whose name is above every other name, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now you should know that in the Gospel of Matthew, the time is drawing near for Jesus to go to the cross. Though we won't hear about this in the lectionary until Holy Week in 2024. It seems like a long ways away. Here in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey through the Golden Gate to much fanfare on Palm Sunday. He has just cleansed the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers, and the chief priests are nervous. They're a little nervous about what Jesus is accomplishing, about the people hearing him and his teaching. More than just tables, Jesus is turning over the whole temple system with his preaching and his forgiveness of sins. Jesus' preaching is undermining the whole system and business of the virtue signaling of the high priest, of the Pharisees, of justice by the hands of the people. And it must end, they think. So the experts of the law use their best tool. That is, they have a question, and it means to undermine and trap Jesus. They ask, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Now, in the realm of the law, this is a very good question. We all must ask it, actually, in the things that we do every day. Now, in the last few months, I've received, there have been a couple of weeks in the last few months that I've received many phone calls uh, from some of you. They were about emails that you may have received, purportedly to be from me, though they were not, uh, from email addresses that looked like my own, my own First Lutheran email address. And of course, they're asking for, well, not just for a good deed, but for gift cards. And, and if you uh, could take a picture of them, well, that would be handy for whoever is emailing uh, many of you were tipped off that these were not real. Uh, and I received some very entertaining uh, responses from you. Some of you uh, noticed that uh, the grammar wasn't quite right, that the voice in the email was kind of strange, and that asking for secrecy didn't seem quite right. And all of this was true. You were right to be tipped off. For this wasn't me or my email address. First of all, I want to say what a poor abuse of the trust of the gospel that Christ has built into this congregation that some scammer is trying to take advantage of. But it's not only First Lutheran, it's many congregations who fall victim to this. And I invite you to always check in person, as many of you did. Call the church first. Some of you offered to meet this fake Pastor Jason in person at the church and hand the gift card over in person. This was a good idea. 
The conversation stopped there, I'm told. Some of you even wanted to create a sting operation to catch these criminals, and I applaud the effort, though I don't think they're in town as far as I know. But I thank you for your concern. And I invite you to pray for the repentance of these scammers, for God's judgment is real for them. But this question, by what authority, is key, whether it's a matter of email and gift cards or any matter of the law or finance. The, the chief priests were right in asking this question. Sometimes when our kids say something that catches my attention, I will ask them, where did you hear that? Or who told this to you if what they said seems a little shaky? By what authority we get our information matters. But the chief priests were asking this question of Jesus in order to undermine him and trap him. Jesus deftly does not answer this question, but he asks one of his own. And here we have another example of what it means to use the binding key that Jesus mentioned some weeks ago. Some of you asked about what this looked like, and here Jesus gives us another example. He does not preach the gospel to these priests, but binds them with a question. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And now it is the chief priests who are caught. And they argue about how to answer. They're not quite sure. If they go this way, they're stuck. And if they go that way, they're stuck. They're stuck finally in their sin and their self-righteousness. And finally they give up and say, we do not know. But Jesus' question, by what authority did John baptize, actually gives the answer to their question, though they did not know it. By what authority was John baptizing. And if you go back to Jesus' baptism, where John baptizes him at the Jordan River, you'll remember that the clouds gathered and a voice came from heaven and God the Father said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. So it was by the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that not only was Jesus baptized, the answer to his question, but that he was teaching and preaching the answer to the chief priest's question. And it is by the very same authority now that this word is delivered to you today. Not on account of your outer virtue, though you might think much of it or you might not, but this comes now on account of Christ. Not on account of how you show yourself to the world, but on account of how Christ came into the world his death and resurrection. And this means all the world. This means everything for us. Because Jesus then tells this parable, he says, what do you think? And he talks about a father and two sons and a vineyard. And the father asks the sons to go work. One said yes and did not work. The other said no, but then did go and do the work. Yesterday at one of our son's soccer games, I asked our other son, to go take him the water uh, that we brought that he had forgotten. And at first, uh, my son sitting next to me said, no, I don't want to. There was something going on in the field that he didn't really want to interrupt. But eventually, he did. He ran around the field, grabbed the water bottle, and delivered it to his brother. Now, was this the model of perfect obedience? Uh, not quite. <laughs> not exactly. 
sure the parents sitting next to me were wondering, well, what are you going to do about this, Dad? So it goes with parenting. But the water did get delivered eventually. And I would rather that than be told yes and the water never move. Jesus' point, of course, is beyond the work of the vineyard or water bottles. But it's that while the chief priests appear to say yes, they don't actually have God's righteousness. They are not forgiven. But those who are baptized by John, the tax collectors and prostitutes, though they don't look righteous, they are repented. Not only are their minds changed, their hearts are changed, their lives are changed by the forgiveness that John was preaching, that was fulfilled in Christ. This is truly the work of the Holy Spirit, though we are tempted to believe that I can change my own mind from not Jesus to Jesus, but here this is the work of the Holy Spirit to repent you, to change you, and he has. For your sins are forgiven, and this means everything, not only for you, but for your family as well. The prophet Ezekiel used this old proverb, as we've been reminded of, a proverb from the day and of the vineyard that the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, which recognizes that the sins of the parents easily become the sins of the children. Now, it's one thing in life when you begin to recognize that the things that annoyed you most about your parents, you begin to see in yourself. That's one thing. Or worse, when your spouse reminds you of this, that's a little more annoying, perhaps true. But how much scarier is it when you begin to see your own sins in your children? But God makes a promise in Ezekiel that this is ended. He says, know that all lives are mine. The life of the parent as well as the life of the child. He says, repent and turn from your transgressions. Otherwise, iniquity will be your ruin. Sin is real, but God's repentance is even more real. Get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel says. But how does this come about? Well, we read together in Psalm 25, Remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions. Remember me according to your steadfast love. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Christ comes now to save you from your sins, from the sins of your parents and your children from your sins. For he takes away the sins of the world. By what authority? Well, he is not some scammer oceans away. What he says is truth. As Paul reminded us, though Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, God also highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name, so that every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is some authority. You have it now. You have this authority now on account of your baptism, on account of hearing the word today, and on account of your receiving the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper we heard from Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was known for eating the scroll of God's word. God said, take and eat to Ezekiel. He says the same to you. Take and eat. This is the real deal, for you are repented. Your sins are forgiven, and your mind, your heart, and your whole lives, they are changed and made new in Christ alone. Amen.